You're listening to Pod Sui, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The North American International Auto Show debuted its brand new late summer format after more than a three-year COVID hiatus. President Biden helped open press and industry days on Wednesday by touting the electric vehicle and a 35-state charging infrastructure plan. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, running in the new 6th District, was with the president as she talked to Paul W. Smith and Guy Gordon on Thursday. Ann and I were discussing how long it's been since we've been to the now known as the North American International Detroit Auto Show. Uh, and we're looking at over three and a half years, Annie. Wouldn't you say? three Absolutely. Over three and a half years. Over three and a half years, Tom. And Sean, when was the last time you were at an auto show doing a broadcast? Doing a broadcast? Years ago. Yeah. I, I came here um, with my daughter in 2019. Yeah, the last one that was here. Good for you. Yeah. Well, there's a woman who shows up every year and, uh, frankly, has virtually always brought a contingent of, of uh, people from Washington, D.C., uh, Congress people, senators, whatever. This year, she's bringing the President of the United States. She is Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. Good morning, Congresswoman. Good morning, Paul W. Good to talk to you this bright morning. Well, it's good to talk to you. And uh, let me, I don't know what you can tell me, what you can't tell me. Are you meeting the President at the airport? How's this all work? I flew back to Washington yesterday, went to the event at the White House, and will be flying in with him on Air Force One this morning. That'll be great. That'll yep, be, it will that'll be great. Be, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I can tell you that they're ready for him. This many hours, the place is crawling with Secret Service and security and dogs. We actually heard one. They don't usually talk to us, but there are three dogs right here, one of them looking adoringly at their handler. Or maybe they think the handler's about to give them food. Either way, I I react the same way, Debbie. I uh, you know food. I I will <laughs> kneel. I'll I'll sit in a and I'll look at the person with the food and do basically whatever they ask. Anyway, did you know Queen Elizabeth II? I I did. She was a um, a wonderful woman and very kind to me. Actually, I have probably more of a kind of uh, bonded with. Uh, now uh, King Charles, Uh, and we've known each other and kept in touch uh, because when he came to the United States years ago with Princess Diana, uh, we had dinner with him that night, but there was this big hullabaloo and everybody wanted to go, and John Dingle didn't care one eye. (laughs) He went hunting. Prince Charles, my mother, who's been sick, reminded me, do you remember when Prince Charles came over and knelt before John Dingle and said, you are my hero. You're the only one who had common sense and went, honey, is it important? <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, people, had- people, people don't remember. And it was unusual, let's face it, for a, a big deal Democrat, which is what John Dingle was, a big deal Democrat who enjoyed hunting and fully understood and embraced supported and fought for our rights to bear arms he was you know that made him an outcast with some of those uh, some of those democrats who by the way are still there um I just, yeah i would i would just disagree you are correct that some people may have forgotten that john dingo probably even helped start the nra it's not the same nra that we see now in the 60s but i will tell you that nor is the, excuse me nor is the democrat or republican party 
the okay, same agreed. as it was. Okay, that, none of them are. Okay, but many union members, many Democrats, uh, or people who tend to vote Democratic, are both hunters and fishers. Fisher people, fishermen, fisherwomen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we, we got to be very. We all put labels on everybody, and we got to be very careful to not put those labels on everybody. Take paintbrushes, and everybody's this way, or everybody's that way. Well, no, but it's exactly why. And I go back to a great uh, guy. Ron Gettelfinger, who was a fabulous leader of the UAW, even though people tried to besmirch his reputation after he left. Shame on them. And they will be outed or have already been outed. And uh, and, and that's a guy who I had this discussion with many, many times, Congresswoman Dingle, and that is somehow or another the Democrats started calling only certain people working people. You had to make less money to be called a working person. I'm telling you something. For 53 years... I've been a working person. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day and show up wherever you have to show up and do your job. You're a working person. Yes, uh, you are. And, and we got rid of that one, so let's get rid of all the rest of them. I agree with you. So all right, well, let's go home. We're in agreement. We're going home. Whee! And we're both in agreement that it's great that the president's coming to the auto show today. Uh, I've spent most of the last week on the floor, as you well know. Uh, looking at everything that's coming in, it's going to be a day to shine. It's going to. Have you met the dinosaurs? Have you seen any of the dinosaurs yet? I have not. I don't think they're working this uh, early hour, but I oh, I know that they're around. Oh, trust me, I met one right where you are. Now we do <laughs> I have think... a. Uh, uh, I thought that Link was pointing to this a moment ago. A wonderful metal uh, representation of a Mustang of a horse that's towering over the Mach E that's sitting right in front of us, the beautiful Mustang. Anybody that I know that has one of these Mustangs loves this Mustang, which is a good sign and a good thing. I think when, do you, are you being driven around in an electric car? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm still using the vehicles that I've had for the last three years, which are internal combustion engines. I'm one of those people... You know, I'm a single woman. I'm going to buy an electric vehicle down the road, but hard to get new product. We all know it's been hard to get new product during this last year. Uh, so uh, I'm sticking with when my lease expired, uh, I kept my lease for another year. I will be honest. Oh, whatever. I mean, good for you. Um I'm. I, I don't even want to. I don't go, down, I don't go out down and get the, the new uh, You know, quite frankly, people forget that we're a representative body. I'm like a lot of other people out there listening to you this morning. I, I, I've got. You know, my lease expired. I'm worried about costs. I'm worried about practicality. And the best thing to do this year was to go and say, "Can I extend this lease a year?" And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, I might. I might be looking at the same sort of thing with. Uh, Sophie's vehicle and uh, my vehicle. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it's it is an unusual time. That's for sure. It's a great time here. At the, it's just great to be back and to look around and breathe yeah, in the air of all these beautiful new vehicles and the North American International Detroit Auto Show. Congresswoman Debbie Dingle will be here a little later with the President of the United and States I of America. Bet he drives a car while he's there. Oh, no doubt about it. So. Carl Berry's here. He's in charge of security. He's putting oh, up calls. Poor Carl, he, give him my love. He poor Carl. Congresswoman Dingle he, says uh, she wants me to give you her love. 
so you have to take it. Um, we so, worked very hard together this last week. Well, he's worked hard with us. He's worked hard with anybody who wants to come to the show right Correct. now. And uh, he's put orange cones all around so the president doesn't run into any of these beautiful vehicles. <laughs> vehicles. I'm just kidding, of course. Kind of. We are a little worried that he doesn't try to floor a vehicle inside. Yeah, inside. Somebody will have to remind him he's in. Mr. President, I have been given inside. that assignment. Okay. I have already been given that assignment. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't tell the world that you've given him that you've been given the assignment to ha- have to tell him anything right now. But anyway, Congresswoman <laughs> Debbie Dingle, thanks so much. See you in a few hours. Okay. Thanks. Well. Okay. You take care. Appreciate your help. Welcome in, everybody, as we greet you from a packed Huntington place. It is industry days. And when you see people here, that's business happening, folks. Those are people benchmarking vehicles and trying to make a bid for their respective supplier, their respective business interests. So there's a lot happening here, and it's all good for this area economically. I heard somebody say something yesterday, and I believe it to be true, but I want to get a fact check for my next guest, and that is that other than the federal bankruptcy, at no time has the industry relied heavier on the federal government. We welcome in Debbie Dingle, uh, Congresswoman from Dearborn's 12th District, and who is no stranger to the auto show, having been a GM exec back in the day. Good afternoon. Guy, it's great to see you, and I don't think either you or I want to count, let alone tell people how many decades we've done of car shows. Yeah, we'll just say it was after the Edsel. Okay? That's good. That's you know, good. That was, I like that. Yeah. Um, when you look at is that is that a fair statement that this relationship between this industry and the federal government, that, that this industry, because of this transition to electrification, we've never seen perhaps them as reliant and as dependent on policy and help. Well, I think people will probably think that, unfortunately, I'm seasoned enough, and I'm not old, to remember what it was like in the 70s when Ralph Nader and the Corvair brought safety regulations, environmental regulations, in that first round of uh, regulations that totally redesigned how a car was made. So, but I do, and I actually think, and those were tough days, Mm -hmm. because they industry fought it to i mean let's let's just be honest the industry fought those standards tooth and nail we were also arrogant about quality standards and quality control and and admissions catalytic converters we were the biggest kid on the block and nobody was going to tell us airbags nobody wanted yeah we cut the seat belts out but um (laughs) it that was i think and i was very young i want to i hadn't even married john dingle yet so i was young young (laughs) But I remember it, and it was a very intense time. I think that the time we, I don't like to use the word bailout, but um, that was just an intense time where the economy could have collapsed and workers could have collapsed. This is a new and different time. People aren't fighting each other. Everybody's working together, and it's partnerships that you've never seen. I mean, when we had the announcement at the White House last year of a, uh, of a goal of 50% sale of zero emission vehicles by the year 2030, yeah. that came from, you know, I didn't sign on to the Green New Deal. And every the young people, the environmentalists were furious at me and made my life a living hell, to be perfectly frank. Um, and I said it wasn't. It didn't include all the players that needed to be you there. You saw a more practical and feasible Labor way. Labor wasn't even at the table. Yeah. You can't do something without without putting everybody at the table. And I'm talking. They p- 
ticketed me everywhere I went. If I gave a speech, kids were behind me with signs. They sat in my office, and it toughened my skin. But I made a commitment then that I would pull together a table of all of the environmentalists, the workers, OEMs knew what I was doing, White House knew what I was doing, and they listened to each other. And we came to that agreement. And now the uh, the automakers are as gun-ho EVs as more gun-ho EVs than some of the other. Right, um, but to have it happen and to have it happen successfully, they need government involvement. And this is what my listeners don't understand. Historically, we didn't have the federal government building gas stations. Why do we need them building charging networks? We didn't have the federal government building the cellular network. The telecoms did that. Why is this kind of a government Marshall plan for charging? If it's profitable, if it's economically uh, you know, feasible, why isn't entrepreneurials doing well, it? Well, I think you're going to start to see. That there's no way the government's going to be able to build out the charging stations that we need. You know, when I talk about electric vehicles, I mean, they're going to begin to build out the structure of what we're going to need. But I say there are going to be three things for electric vehicles to be successful, three buckets. One, they've got to be affordable. Now, Mary showed the president yesterday, uh, you know, a $30,000 full EV vehicle. Equinox. Equinox, correct. It's, it's a game changer. It's yeah. a game. And that, so we're moving there. There were consumer incentives that got more complicated by the most recent inflation. Bill. We're going to talk about that in a minute, okay. but right. Bill, back, uh, Bill. But the second is we've got to develop the battery. That's got to have range. People need to have confidence in that range. Well, and, and we busted the 300-mile barrier. And, uh, we look at the Broncos here. Correct. But we've, got some, we've got vehicles here that do 400 easily, some of them 500. Well, and actually, it's not in my buckets, but people, I said, when I talked to the, I, yes, I talked to the president in coming yesterday, but when I talked to him to come out the first time when the lightning was revealed, I said, if you want people to buy EVs, they got to see that it's like a, it's real, that they're going to get the same performance out of the vehicles and capable that they drive now. People need to think about it. Everybody, that lightning, right, by the way. Back okay, to my original to question. No, Why do we need it. Uncle Sam so building the charging the network? One. Okay, okay, so we and by the way, we have to get the minerals for those batteries and mine them here and not be 80% dependent on China. Amen. Third is we got to build out the infrastructure and upgrade the power grid. Now, the capital isn't there to do all of it, but this is a why free not? market system. If this is such a brilliant okay, idea and the, the timing is upgraded right? their power grids. Why every time is there a storm here, those trees are falling down? How we got to it's got to be a partnership in getting this fixed. Now, I don't forget the EVs and by the way, they're going to be it's going to be cheaper to drive an electric vehicle and they're actually if you charge at the low rate times, which is overnight, they're if you think, oh, I, I, you're going to, the yeah. utilities may buy electricity back from you uh, at a, I mean, there's so much stuff out there. So this is helping to incentivize or to subsidy, but I don't, it's going to be part of the free market and down the road, you're going to see those EVs. But you're as connected to your constituents as I am to my listeners. And when I hear them talking, and I, I would imagine you might be hearing the same thing. I'm hearing, you know what? You're getting way out in front of me on this. The media, the industry, and government are all gung-ho on the EVs. They don't make any sense to me yet. And they feel like they're being force-fed this transformation. Are, are we disconnecting for the very consumers that are going to determine whether this is a success or failure? So, I it, actually, I hear from everybody. So, you have to remember, I have Ann Arbor and Down River. So oh, I so understand. Some people think I'm not moving and, fast And my enough. listeners are broader than you might think. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I do hear that disconnect. Some are worried about it. They don't. 
Yeah, and look, people. I'm mean, somebody's gonna. I don't know what they're saying. I can't afford a new vehicle now. When you when you add a ten thousand, twenty thousand well, dollars premium, you've got to think about their real challenges. First of all, you can't fill your. We're used to running in a gas station, filling your car up in five or ten minutes and leaving. You can't charge in that short a period of time. Right. Not everybody has a garage. Places of business don't have enough chargers for their employees. There are real issues out there. But we also, global climate's real. When you see the kind of temperatures that you've seen out west, the droughts, water's drying up. Okay, we got it. so we got to partner on some of this stuff. The free market system will work too. But I think people are more excited about electric vehicles than you realize. And there are others that are recalcitrant. Oh, I worried. think it's like a lot of things that you, where you want to be an early adopter, but you're looking to go, well, I can't afford it. And I don't know if I could charge it. And I can't get up to, to northern Michigan on, on a single And I on, think that's all real charge. and pragmatic, so, which is why we got to address all those issues. Getting back to the other issue that you raised a moment ago, and that is the fact that the president drove a Cadillac Lyric yesterday, and terrific. It's a wonderful, it's an exciting vehicle, and I'm glad he had a great time in it. He was made in America, too. And he was jazzed, but but does it qualify for the... uh, not at the moment, but it... Yeah, so it doesn't qualify for the tax credit, and I understand he was kind of taking credit for the credit, but he's in a vehicle that doesn't get it. Well, what are we going to do? How do we reconcile will. that? I mean, wh- I, I have mixed feelings about all of this because we do want to make it an affordable, EVs affordable. But well, and there's also a question whether the kind of person that can afford a Cadillac Lyric needs a tax break. That too. But here's my what we're dealing with right now. We are dealing with national security, economic security, and environmental security. All critical issues. We need to reduce our dependence. Right now, those batteries, we rely on China for 80%. And Joe Manchin... I mean, I might not have taken this approach, but I wasn't going to let anybody kill this bill either because it's going to help everybody. doesn't want us to be any more dependent on China. So he didn't want one penny of American dollars going towards Chinese product. Can't totally disagree on that either. We're not there yet, though. Well, that's, that's a great I, idea. Got this table working, and we're going to, in the next couple of years, we are trying to speed up development. I've got a table going with the environmentalists and unions. It should group be a goal. Time. It should be it's phased in. It is, I mean, this cold turkey. But that's what we're doing. We're phasing in. Nobody's going cold turkey. It's 22. The goal's not till 30 for the 50%. You can get that. Look how fast But the lyric still doesn't qualify. Well, people who are buying the Lyric aren't, don't need the tax credit either. Just for Well, the thank you, Debbie Dingle, because I'm going to order one of those stinkers when oh, I get a thank chance. thank you. Make a WJR, I hope, pays you well. Oh, they pay me. I hope they pay you I'm, better than the... I'm sure I'm overpaid. Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> no. Um, one of the other but things... But I do that want are, people to be for It is very important to me that the EV be affordable, and I am worried about but that But we right also now. need to means test those that are going to be yeah. taking advantage of the government you know, largesse. It's not a, you and I are laughing. It is very important yeah. to everyday people. One minute here, and I want to, I've got to quickly ask you, Nolan raised it in his column today, and I, I've been raising it before. John James has raised it, the idea that electrification is great, but when we lose those engine plants, when we lose those transmission plants, when we lose the supplier base for those plants, we're going to lose about 300,000 jobs. I'm not using that as an as a excuse to abandon electrification, but what are we doing about making sure that these folks have a soft landing? This is more complicated than one minute. So that was part of the whole table that we had with the environmentalists and workers. There are new jobs being created, and we've got to. And Michigan needs to be fighting for those new jobs. Uh, well, we right now building, we're, we are, but we're not we're winning. More and well, we only really, you want know, truthfully, we only got in the game. Uh, 
uh, a year ago after we lost Kentucky and Tennessee. And I think suddenly I've talked to a lot of people we lost, and they all say, first thing they say about does, Michigan. Does every, the governor bear responsibility for that? No, everybody does, because the first thing they say is that everybody fights. We don't want to go to a state that everybody fights. It's true. And by the way, it's the truth. And the legislature and the governor, they came together finally. That was yeah. a wake-up call, and we need to be doing more of it. Well, and that's uh, John Ricolta was preaching that gospel up at John up Ricolta at, and I are on the same page. Up, up at Mackinac, and, he, and he's, he, he, I thought he was dead on. Debbie Dingle, always a pleasure. Enjoy the show. Thank you. I've been enjoying it for a week, and today I might even get to relax a little and enjoy it. I wish I could join you in that. Take care. Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer has a growing double-digit lead over Republican challenger Tudor Dixon. Dixon unveiled her $1 billion law enforcement plan, and she discussed it on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. You were speaking yesterday about the difficult task as a reporter of going to the front door and knocking and asking a grieving mother whose son or daughter was just murdered to provide a photo of the child or something to help catch the suspect. You did it five times in one weekend. None of us like doing that, but it's still happening across the state in greater numbers. Teenagers are being killed all across Michigan, Grand Rapids, Detroit. There's just no question that crime is up around the state. It's devastating, too, for the victims. A neighbor of mine went for coffee with his wife. Uh, The kids were teenagers, so they felt safe leaving them home alone. Burglars broke into the house. The kids hid in the closet. The thieves took jewelry and left. No one was hurt. Everybody was okay. But that family has been changed. They, they worry, will these people come back? They look over their shoulder. Uh, it, it's, it's terrifying uh, when you are a victim of crime. Uh, it, it's very damaging, and it is on the rise. Uh, our next guest says uh, she has a plan uh, to help bring crime down. Tudor Dixon is running for governor, and she joins us on the show now. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you coming on. How serious of an issue is crime right now in the state of Michigan? Well, if you look at when Gretchen Whitmer took office, we were 14th in the nation for a violent crime rate. Now we're ninth, uh, And that was just the 2020 numbers. So that was just in two years, the increase in violent crime in the state of Michigan. But overall, the country's about a 4% and Michigan's over 8%. This is a serious issue in the state of Michigan, and we have to take it seriously. I spoke with a sheriff this morning, and he said, I honestly don't think that people are understanding what an increase we are seeing across the state and that we are getting to the point where it's getting out of our hands. We see that our, we have people being let right back out onto the streets. They're going out and committing the same crimes. We talked to a gentleman the other day in Grand Rapids, and he said, I walked into my buddy's office. I was in there for five minutes, broad daylight. I came out and my car was stolen off of the street in Grand Rapids. Mm. This is crime we're seeing running rampant across the state in areas where people used to feel safe leaving their car locked outside. They come out now. It's gone. It's stolen. uh, People don't feel... Uh, police, I should say, don't feel appreciated. Uh, there, there's this fear of, of defunding the police. Uh, many police officers are retiring. Uh, what what can we do to solve this crime problem? Sure, and that's why we've come out with our, our Building a Safer State plan, and that is to put a billion new dollars into law enforcement. That's recruitment and training. That's making sure that they have the right equipment that they have. That's making sure that we can retain our police officers because of exactly what you're saying. They have seen a governor who has come out and marched with people that are holding up signs saying defund the police. Gretchen Whitmer has even come out and said that she supports the spirit of defunding the police. 
they have told me across the state, our police officers have told me across the state that that resonates with people who are committing crimes. They feel empowered to do so, and they feel empowered to attack our police officers. They're being ambushed. You saw this in Detroit with the officer, Officer Quartz, who was ambushed and killed in the streets. Mm. I've been told this is happening across the state, that they're getting called to fake calls. They're getting ambushed when they get there. But look, we're even seeing delivery drivers now shot and killed. We had just a story the other day saying that a delivery, a pizza delivery man came and was shot and killed on the front steps of someone's home. This is how rampant this is. And police, because they don't feel supported, they're saying, look, we're thinking now we're either going to get killed on the job or we're going to be put in jail because we don't have anybody who has our backs. So we're retiring. It's not worth losing our life in one way or another by trying to keep the community safe. So we need to reverse that. We need to make sure that they know that the chief executive officer of the state has their back, appreciates them, and understands that in the Constitution, we have agreed that protection and public safety is a a top priority, and we must provide that. Yeah, there was a DoorDash driver who was just killed the other day delivering food uh, in Detroit. I don't think there's any coincidence that this rise in crime is related to this nationwide call to defund police and also to prosecutors like in Washington, Ingham counties, who are st- they stopped charging for gun crimes. So this proposal you've got and you announced this week is going to address part of that and it's going to invest in more police officers. So it's one thing to foot the bill for more cops. It's another thing to convince them to join the profession. Anti-police sentiment has become a major barrier. Um, how will this overcome that sentiment? Well, we're gonna we're getting creative with how we recruit and how we incentivize, and some of that is bonuses. Some of, of that is hunting licenses that they will receive for free, recreation passports, things that we can offer as a state to make it more enticing to come here. I've talked to other governors about this, and they're all looking at ways to creatively say, you are wanted, you are loved, and we want to show you that we are willing to take care of you in any way possible. And that is not only while you are working, but beyond as well. So we want them to look at Michigan and realize that this is a state that that has their back and will offer them incentives to do the job of keeping the people safe, which is the most important job we have out there. But also, how can we rise people up from their own communities, too? Because when I talk to folks, they say, well, we want people from our community to become police officers. And they've been scared off from that. So we want to get into those communities and say, look, this is a great profession, and we are going to support you in this profession. We really want people from your community to join the police force or join the first responders or get get involved and become a corrections officer. That's going to be a main goal of ours is making sure that they know there are incentives there and that they will be protected and and supported once they're in the position. Yeah, I think there's great motivation to try to protect your own community where you're from. Uh, But the reality is policing is truly a thankless job in many cases. I mean, daily they deal with uh, the types of trauma that most of us never see in a lifetime. So the mental health aspect of policing, keeping them healthy mentally, uh, what's needed? And, And will you approach that aspect? Yes, that's in the plan as well, mental health support. It's not just, we're looking at a full mental health overview of what policing is, because not only do we have to look at the mental health of our officers, but one of the number one concerns I get from police is we have a lowered prison population because the state is manipulating and keeping prisoners in our jails who actually have mental health problems. So it's it's mental health 
support for our police officers, but also looking at our mental health system. How do we get these folks that have mental health issues out of our jails and make sure that we have the correct facility, but also this manipulation that we have in state government right now to end that we have a lower prison population when crime is rising and then sticking our, share, our county sheriffs with people in their jails that have mental illness. This is that in and of itself is causing stress and, and post-traumatic stress disorder on our police officers. So we have to make sure that we are looking at the mental health issue across the spectrum, whether it is with the police officer themselves or even within the system of offenders and how we take care of that. Joe Biden and Gretchen Whitmer at the auto show hand in hand yesterday. They're encouraging people to vote for the abortion proposal, the Michigan Reproductive Freedom Initiative. Uh, they also slammed your stance on abortion. Uh, isn't it true that their position is the more extreme option? And, and the interesting thing is now her spokesperson is out there lying and saying that she doesn't support abortion up to the moment of birth, but that is exactly what she is doing. That is the extreme position she is taking by bringing the president here and saying, you need to vote for this. There's already been a court ruling on this. The, the judge has ruled that there are no limitations on abortion. This is actually creating a more radical position on abortion, the most radical in the world, actually, because what she is supporting is taking away parental rights. What she is supporting is making it so that anybody can perform an abortion. You don't have to be a medical doctor. Her position is the most radical in the world, not just the nation, but in the world. Yeah. And they also, Joe Biden, I think he told an untruth about you yesterday. <laughs> he says that you don't accept and uh, have an exception for the life of the mother. And uh, I've heard you say otherwise. I have. And I just want to be clear about one other thing. This is an untruth because this is not the issue in the governor's race. This, as I said, it's already been decided by a judge, but it will also be decided by the people of Michigan. The governor will not decide what happens with abortion. My position on abortion is I've been I've not been shy about the fact that I am pro-life, but it is not up to the governor to make this decision. This is why these ads are such lies, because she doesn't want to talk about the fact that people cannot afford to live. People are afraid to go out on the streets. Our kids are desperately behind. We just spoke to someone a couple of days ago who said our restaurant is struggling because no one will pay the higher prices. And now we can't pay our supplier for food. And we don't have enough people coming in to pay tips for our servers. The restaurant industry is crushed because of the eight months that she kept them closed down. And she hasn't addressed any of this. We want to hold her accountable for the real issues in this race. And she is just trying to say, look at this bright, shiny thing over here that has nothing to do with what either of us will be able to do when we're in office. Yep, the economy, uh, crime, and education, big topics that you're focused on. Tudor Dixon, Republican nominee running for uh, governor for the great state of Michigan. Tudor, great to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. President Biden held a speech celebrating the success of the Inflation Reduction Act Tuesday. Despite an inflation rate north of 8% and a stock market plunge on the same day, Republican Congressman John Mullen are running in the 2nd District with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. President Joe Biden, who yesterday said this inflation report that came out at 8.3%, Biden says that is a strong indicator of the work and great progress that he is making on bringing down inflation. It's good news, the president says. 
No, it's not. That totally goes against, Kevin, I think conventional wisdom and common sense. We are still at near 40-year inflation highs, Kevin. Wall Street knows this. I mean, that's why the markets crashed yesterday. Yeah, Tom, it, it's not something you root for. You don't cheer on the biggest loss on the stock market of the year. You don't cheer on frightening economic numbers on inflation. You don't cheer on massive job loss. But there is something people can do. They can vote. You can tell your friends and tell your family that elections have consequences. Tell them there's an election coming up in six weeks. It's important. Uh, you know, if, if the economy is confusing, uh, just tell them, look, massive government spending causes massive inflation, and it eats away at your family budget. Uh, the Democrats, for the last two years have thrown around, I don't know, $10 trillion. Uh, the spending is is wild. That's why you have the inflation. Joining us now is Congressman John Moulinar from Michigan's 4th District. Good morning, sir. How are you? Well, good morning, Kevin and Tom. Good to be with you this morning. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. Uh, the, the president saying that 8.3% uh, inflation is, is progress. What, what, what do you make of it? Well, as you point out, he said it was related to his work, and I think it is related to his work, um, but unfortunately, it's going in the wrong direction. You know, early on, he said it was transitory, it wasn't going to last long, and here we are, you know, 8.3%. That's like asking people in Michigan to give up a month of their paycheck to pay for Joe Biden's inflation. What are you hearing from uh, your constituents? Are they feeling the pain or do, do, do they just get used to it? Uh, do they get motivated? Well, well they are struggling. And uh, when you consider the cost of groceries, when you consider the cost of gas, basically the cost of living in Michigan has gone up so much under this Biden inflation. Um, you know, you think of seniors living on a fixed income, they're struggling to afford the essentials. And this crisis continues. And I just find it very odd that he would be celebrating at the White House this kind of cost of living increase for American citizens. So, you know, it is, you know, people are struggling to put food on the table. And now at the same time, he's saying that, you know, he's going to stick Americans with the bill for college debts run up by other people. So, as you point out, the massive spending plus this kind of spending is simply driving inflation. Even President Obama's advisor, uh, Stephen Ratner, uh, stated that this was the driving force behind inflation. There's no question. Any, any economist who's worth their salt would say the same thing. And, you know, Joe Biden, the president yesterday, said, listen, what he did, his Inflation Reduction Act, this massive spending bill, he said that it is bringing down prices for everyday uh, families in this country. And these kitchen table issues, their monthly bills are now going down. Is he just out of touch completely with reality, or is he, is he purposely lying, do you think, to the American people? I think he, you know, I can't question his motives other than that he is completely out of touch with the reality that Michiganders and Americans are facing. You know, it, this is the 15th consecutive month of inflation over 5%. You know, it's it's uh, something that people just cannot afford giving up a month of their paycheck to pay for President Biden's policies. You look at his energy policies, that's costing more at the pump. It's also, also costing more to grow up and transport our food. So at higher grocery prices, the spending is leading to record levels of inflation. Um, you know, when Republicans led the House, we had affordable energy, low inflation, lower taxes, and we can have those things again, but we've got to change course and change these uh, tragic policies. Well, even uh, Janet Yellen is now saying we could be in store for a pretty significant recession. What do you see in the next few months or maybe towards the end of the year? 
Well, I think people are concerned about rising interest rates. Um, you know, it makes it harder to afford a house. Um, all the indicators, you know, when the stock market crashed um, yesterday, it was tragic. And at the same time, the president is celebrating. Winter utility costs are going to be higher this winter because of these policies. And that's going to really hit people at a time when they're already struggling with the cost of living. We uh, were talking about a study that came out earlier in the show uh, that indicates uh, 50%, more than 50% of companies are uh, involved in hiring freezes now or looking at laying off people, uh, laying people off. What, what happens now with, with inflation this high and if companies start cutting back? Uh, Beaumont let 400 people go the other day. Well, I, I think you're right. It's a, it's a spiral and it, it creates these economic pressures. And we need an economy that's strong that brings inflation down, uh, grows jobs, and incentivizes and gets people back in the workforce and prepares them, you know, with the skills they need to compete. And and uh, everything in this administration has gone the other direction. And and uh, as you point out, elections have consequences, and we're suffering for that. And we have an opportunity in November to send the president, Speaker Pelosi, and the you know one party rule and in Washington a message, and uh, I hope we do. You know, Congress really controls the purse strings here, although Biden seems to be able to uh, take those purse strings and just spend uh, at will, but this is a Democratic Congress right now. If you regain control, if Republicans do so, um, how will you help navigate this country through a potential economic crisis? Well, when you look at uh, the commitment to America that we are developing as a policy that we're going to be uh, unveiling in the next couple of weeks, it, we talk about a strong economy, a safe you know, country, uh, making sure we you know, respect the parents' role in uh, their children's education. You know, all of these are going to be pillars, uh, energy independence, to make sure we get America back on the right track. And... Uh, and these will be policies that we're campaigning on, but also more importantly, governing on that will really show a contrast between the direction the Democrats have taken our country versus what Republicans support, energy independence, a secure border, you know, parents having a say in their children's education. Uh, all of those will give people in America more confidence in the next generation for America's future. Will people f- focus on that, or will the abortion issue distract them, and will that cost Republicans uh, in November? You know, I think every day when people uh, go to buy groceries, when they go to buy gas, they can remember the times when their paychecks were going further and their families were more secure. You know, you didn't have the worry of crime in our cities Um This is something that has dramatically changed in the last two years. And I think people are going to say, let's change course. Let's move in a new direction. And uh, let's see what the Republicans can do. Well, we'll see. We we do wish you the best here in in the midterms, you and your colleagues. And we hope there is a turnaround of some sort. And as Kevin said earlier, uh, elections have consequences. We're reaping the consequences right now. So we hope you do well uh, come November. Appreciate your time. As always, uh, Congressman John Molinar from the 4th District here in Michigan. Thank you, Congressman. Appreciate it. 
Thank you, Kevin and Tom. Appreciate it. Good news for incumbent Wayne County Executive Warren Evans as he runs for re-election. The county's credit rating is improving. Evans with Paul W. Smith on Tuesday morning. I, uh, I you know, I may not always be right. I think, uh, and didn't I make a mistake in 1973? Do you remember? Do you remember when I made a mistake? It's been quite a while, yeah. Was that on the air or just in my headphones? Oh, you're just in my headphones. I can't tell anymore. <laughs> Um, we should only talk to each other through on air, like like that's our life existence. It's a, it's the same thing at home. You know, if I, if I open the refrigerator and the light lights up, I start performing. It's like it's just it's just the way it is. All right. Anyway, um, I've been a backer of this guy since I've known him, and I as it turns out, so far so good. I'm I've been right about Warren Evans, a fine fine Wayne County executive. Warren, always a pleasure. We haven't talked in a while. How are you? Paul W., I'm doing fine. It's always great to talk with you. How have you been doing? I've been doing well, thank you, um, all things considered. Meanwhile, you've been doing great. And it's not just me always uh, saying what a great job I think you do. You're now getting some really important outside attention. This attention coming from Fitch Ratings who have upgraded Wayne County's credit rating to an A standing. That's up from a BBB plus rating. But this upgrade reflects the county's continued efforts toward financial stability. And it's, if I'm not mistaken, the second upgrade Wayne County has received in just a few weeks. Moody's Investor Services also upgraded Wayne County's rating to a status of A1 giving the county a high-grade rating. Now, this is not just to to celebrate and to ballyhoo the great efforts, Warren Evans, that you have done and successfully. This means actual dollar savings for you, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, and that's uh, that's the key to it. I mean, Fitch's, Moody's, and Standard & Poor's have all got us up in the A category, and there's certainly room to move north, but... Uh, from where we began eight years ago, yeah, I think it's kind of amazing. And, you know, our uh, our financial team and our assessment and equalization teams, I mean, we just got good people out there and we're doing the right things, uh, you know, balancing budgets through COVID and making sure that we continue to add to our reserves. That's always big with rating agencies. We've gone through some tough times, but the books aren't reflecting it, um, you know, because I think we've budgeted well. Well, tell us uh, what else you're excited about. What else is happening in uh, Wayne County that we should know about? And maybe with all the other news and all the other things going on, we might have missed. Well, I, I think uh, the the biggest thing for us right now is we're within about six months of uh, uh, taking over the new jail complex or the new criminal justice complex. I hate to see say jail complex because there's so many other buildings there. There's a courthouse there. There's a prosecutor's headquarters, there's a sheriff's headquarters, there's a juvenile detention facility, um, along with the jails. But we think, obviously, to have a state-of-the-art jail, and we wish you didn't have to have any of them, but if you have a state-of-the-art one where you condense all of your people uh, into one area, that's going to help us with cost savings. As you know now, we've got three jails, and they're all in significant states of disrepair. So we're looking forward to a smooth transition uh, into the new facility and uh, continue to go north from there. Still, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, we we still, you know, uh, are not satisfied with the, the bond rating. We want it to be uh, the best it can be. But I think we, we've 
come a long way to show that we're committed to doing it, and, uh, and the public has been very supportive. Listen, I, I'll remind people that may not remember Warren Evans, when you came on board, you were looking at bankruptcy, and you did everything you could to avoid bankruptcy, and you did, and that's no small deal. That's a big deal. No, and uh, it, it it is, and I still got to got to uh, give significant credit to uh, then Governor Snyder uh, for his close ability to work with us to give us the opportunity to get out of it. You know, sometimes you can't do it alone; you need a little help, uh, and not financial help, but just help with uh, technical issues, consent agreements, and those sorts of things. So if the state's an obstacle then you're not going anywhere. But, you know, uh, in that instance, Rick Snyder did a tremendous job for us. And I always want to give him a plug when I get a chance because, I mean, fair is fair. And and, uh, that was the truth. Well, you know what? That's what makes you the guy you are. You're not playing any political games with me here, and, and you know better than that anyway. But you're a strong Democrat. He was the head of the Republican Party. That meant for many Democrats to never say anything good about him, but there were plenty of good things to say about Governor Rick Snyder. It sickens yeah, me know, when people forget that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and now we've gotten so partisan that, you know, uh, people go people of the minority party go to Lansing or go to Washington with the idea that their job is to fight the other party. Uh, as long as they're in office. And, you know, my sense is you do what my grandfather said. You figure out a way to cut the hog. You may not get everything you want, (laughs) but let's keep keep moving it forward. Uh, Grandpa said the wildest things, didn't they? And they all came true. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, What did you think the other day? I saw a story um, overall about, uh, I don't think they were talking about jails uh, that we have to have here and make them better, but it might have been about prisons and some group or organization was saying that many prisons don't have air conditioning and that uh, was akin to uh, uh, torturing the the prisoners. I, you know, I appreciate all that, but if you're in prison, it's usually for a reason. And I'd like people to get more concerned about our neighbors that don't have air conditioning before they worry about being sure to get air conditioning for prisoners. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think when I think about that and i do think you know humane conditions ought to be there for everybody but i think more about the staff if it's not air conditioned uh for the comfort of the prisoners think about those government employees that's an excellent point who are in there and that creates the tension quite often sure that creates fights and other problems i i I look at it much more from that perspective um well i'm uh, glad you did because i wasn't and i i would be improper uh, and wrong if I didn't think of the whole picture there. And you're right. The whole picture includes those those people who have a job most of us wouldn't sign on to do being a prison guard. No, that's absolutely correct. And uh, and and they it's uh, the conditions would be untenable uh, without air conditioning in some of those some of those places virtually anywhere. I just can't even imagine. Anyway, here's what I know. Warren Evans has been doing a great job as Wayne County Executive with nothing but good news coming our way with the upgraded credit ratings uh, that were going to save the people of Wayne County a lot of money because you have to borrow a lot of money when you're running anything, any big business or community, and you save money, the better your credit score is. And that's what's now happening for Wayne County. Good job, Warren. 
Thanks, Paul. That'll be a great talking to you. We'll talk to you again soon. It's always a good conversation, sir. Thank you. Wayne County Executive Warren Evans. He's, he's done a great job and continues to do a great job. Businessman John James is running for Congress as a Republican in the 10th District. He talked inflation, previewed Joe Biden's appearance at the auto show, and gave his thoughts on, at the time, a possible impending railway strike, which was averted after his appearance on All Talk. I, it's crazy. Inflation's so bad. Uh, you, you probably couldn't afford a car if you wanted to. The average car payment is $700 a month right now. That's what some people pay in rent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's outrageous. And uh, even though, Tom, you think gas prices are coming down, uh, it's mm. still three fifty, and I'm not happy about it until I see at least a two at the at, at the front of no, that No, I'm number. with you on that. It's, it's, it's not good. At least you could catch a train. Oh, wait. They're no, going on strike. Not by Friday. <laughs> you better go, <laughs> but you're not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Joining us now is John James Business and political candidate. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. I'm enjoying being a part of the conversation. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I, am, I, am I sounding like Chicken Little and the sky is falling, or are things really uh, about to get that bad? Well, you know what? I, I have hope uh, of a brighter future with the right leadership, and having somebody who actually understands what they're talking about during these supply chain crises because they run a supply chain business in the automotive sector, something that would help bring prices down and bring our jobs back. Uh, I, I think it's um, it's uh, tragically laughable uh, that Democrats are taking a victory lap, and we, the people, have won nothing. Oh, it's 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 unbelievable to to watch them say the Inflation Reduction Act is is helping lower our our bills when we all we we can all look at our bills, we can look at our budget, we can see our money is not nearly going as far as it was two years ago, and and we're struggling. Um, but but they stand up there and and, and say it with a straight face. Um, do you think voters are buying what they're selling? Absolutely not. They say it with a straight face because they have no clue. They're so detached. And, and the the only ones who were surprised by the inflation numbers that were that were released yesterday were people who are living in the real world. Teachers who already are struggling, uh, not making enough money, in my opinion, who don't have enough to get school supplies for their kids for the year to decorate their rooms and make a, a great environment for in-person learning. Uh, uh, seniors who are struggling to, to make ends meet and pay for prescriptions while they're trying to figure out how to live on a fixed income. Um, I, I go uh, went to a, a local su- supplier in, uh, in Sterling Heights, and I talked to folks who live an average of 25 to 30 minutes away from work, and they're trying to figure out, can I afford to go to work because of gas prices? Uh, it, it, when you're looking all around, we knew. Real people know. Uh, we don't need a report or a Wall Street numbers to tell us that things are more expensive, that, that I'm paying more for, for eggs and, and, and bacon than I paid a year ago. I, I, I don't need uh, the, the White House uh, to lie to me. And frankly, when you look at what they're naming these bills, basically assume they're doing the opposite. Uh, they are doing a, a great job of, of running our economy into the ground, and they, the worst part is they don't even know it. They don't even know it, and they don't care. So uh, we need to send people who understand what it takes to lower prices somebody who understands the supply chain, someone who will make sure that there is a a, a business-friendly environment, make sure that everyone can participate in the future. Uh, And and I'm excited to have the opportunity to earn your trust and support. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Nancy Pelosi uh, said the Inflation Reduction Act was so aptly named because it does just that. No, it actually does the exact opposite. But that's... 
Yeah. So we're looking now at 8.3% inflation. That's really untenable the way I see it. You know, we see how workers are now requiring these massive pay raises just to stay afloat. You know, you got professors at EMU striking because 15% pay raise isn't enough. Uh, nurses are striking. Train engineers are likely going to go on strike. How do we get off this vicious cycle of the cost of living increases and then the demand for higher wages? You have to get the government out of our business quite literally. We need to make sure that we have the regulatory reform, the tax reform, and the tort reform that makes it easier and better to bring our jobs back from out of state and out of the country. We are creating such a a, a terrible environment for job creators to create jobs, for innovators to, 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 to innovate, for small business owners to keep their restaurants to keep their side hustles. Uh, we're making it more difficult, but the government wants their, their, their share. They want your money. And that is why in this so-called, uh, uh, I call it the IRS Act, 87,000 new IRS agents, and they're not going to put the newbies on these big billion-dollar cases. The newbies are going to come after us. They're going to come after the working class folks, the middle class folks, and they're going to fill eight brigades, two stadiums. That's Ford Field and LCA filled to capacity with new IRS agents to tax us, uh, that, that is unsustainable. Um, we need to make sure that we have an environment where we can grow our economy, we can bring back our manufacturing independence, bring back our energy independence, that we can fire up our working class. And frankly, there's no better place to do it than the 10th Congressional District, which will be the number one manufacturing district in the country. Mm. You know, Janet Yellen, she is now warning of a potential severe recession. And now Fed Chair Jerome Powell will probably raise rates again next week, maybe another three quarter percent. Um, Congress does control the purse strings. You get in next year. Um, How do you help navigate this country through this uh, economic crisis? Well, the first thing uh, we need to do is we need to make sure that we enact policies to rein in this spending. The three-letter organizations that are passing that are, are passing regulations with the effect of law that are making it more expensive to do business, and those costs are passed on to the customer. We need to pass uh, laws that increase the ability for the supply chain to flow transparently uh, without uh, without interference. Uh, we need to make sure that we get our energy independence back so we lower the input costs of, uh, of, uh, of materials and energy. We need to make sure that, we, uh, that we're talking to employers and we make it easier on suppliers. Uh, and we need to have an all-the-above energy approach until we can prepare our workforce and infrastructure for the economy of the future. Um, I'm excited to be able to bring my experience, uh, and, and it's just these things that will help us grow out of this crisis, Mom, because you're not going to be able to tax your way out of the crisis, and you're not going to be able to spend your way out of the crisis. You're going to have to make grow out of this crisis, and the best way to do it is a bottom-up approach that leaves no one behind. Uh, John James, Republican congressional candidate for Michigan's 10th District. John, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That'll do it for this week's Pod Sui Voter's Guide. Keep it tuned to AM760 WJR and thegreatvoice.com all election season. See you next time.